Hello, welcome to the Middle East Forum's regular series of projects and uh, sorry, podcasts and webinars on the Middle East Forum's projects. Uh, my name is Sam Westrop. I am the director of the Forum's Islamist Watch project. And I'm very delighted to have with us today, uh, Christine Douglas-Williams, a renowned journalist and producer um, who offers uh, fascinating insight into the questions of Islamism and the government's, the West's response to the threat of Islamism. So getting straight into it, Christine, hello. Um, the first thing I wanted to touch on was the question of Islamophobia. Um, this has been a subject, especially within Canada, uh, that has been discussed widely at the top political level and has a long history throughout the West of Islamist groups using Islamophobia as a way to distract from their own radicalism uh, to attack ideas that are critical of Islamism, and even at times to attack reformist Muslims, accusing them of, of, of Islamophobia. Um, to what extent does the Canadian political class buy into this idea? Is Islamophobia now a national legislative uh, agenda item? All of these questions I'll get to soon, Sam, but first of all, I want to say that it is a privilege to come back and, and thanks for interviewing me today. Now, before I get into Canada specifically, just a brief point about Islamophobia. It is, it is an aggressive term being pushed by the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. And we see uh, countries like Turkey, like Pakistan, pushing it for the same reason. While it does incorporate anti-Muslim bigotry, it also incorporates the hurt feelings of Muslims. So right there, we have a problem. This is one reason why Islamophobia was insisted upon by certain groups in Canada instead of the recommended term um, anti-Muslim bigotry. So to start with um, a, a bit of a preamble here with, with um, Islamophobia in Canada, it, it is a sneaky, insidious method of eroding Canada from within. And that will become increasingly apparent as I, as, as I go on. The National Post published a very telling article recently, and it was titled, and this is September 12th here, Justin Trudeau liberals pose a direct threat to free speech in Canada. I'll address the context, but much went on beforehand. Now, I mentioned Islamophobia motion M103 in the briefing last year. It's a steady continuum. Defenders of it keep on saying again and again that we need to discard the paranoia. It isn't a legal concept, but it isn't that simple. There's a back door, and that's something that I will explain. First, let's go back. 2016, that was a year before the motion M103. CARECAN renamed the National Council of Canadian Muslims. They established Islamophobia charters in six major Canadian cities. Now, a year later in 2017, that's when Islamophobia motion M103 was introduced in parliament as a motion by liberal MP Ikra Khalid. Now she's a woman that's been associated with the jihad linked Palestine house. She was the former head of the Muslim Student Association of York University in Toronto. And she claims to have written its constitution, which states its Salafist orientation and its support for the Sharia. So while M103 was presented by media to be harmless after a year of committee hearings, it resulted in a $23 million supported document titled Taking Action Against Systemic Racism and Religious Discrimination, which includes Islamophobia. Now this part's important because part of the strategy was to monitor citizens for compliance and also to train law enforcement to detect 
online and offline hate. That's very important to understand as we go on so that we see the continuum. Among the groups receiving monies to help the government take action against such discrimination, hate, and Islamophobia were groups like CARE, CAN, NCCM, and IRFAN, which was designated a terrorist entity under the former um, Stephen Harper conservative government. Then we saw, fast forward this, November 2020, we saw Bill C-10 that would amend the Broadcast Act of Canada now, the bill was designed to apply to streaming services such as Netflix to put it under the jurisdiction of the CRTC, that's Canada's regulatory um, body over the airwaves. But after much outcry, it seemed to have been resolved, as they said, it would be, um, it would, it would be, it would exempt user generated content that might be uploaded in social media. Um, from that regulation, but then uh, the bill was suddenly altered in a committee hearing. The exemption for user-generated contact was suddenly removed, giving the CRTC control over podcasts, over online broadcasts and, and, and news websites and more. Despite those outcries, the Liberals rammed it through the House of Commons, but it must go to the Senate before final approval, and it died in the House when the writ was dropped in the snap election that we saw on September 20th. But that's not the end of this story. It will continue, as I'll explain further on. Then came Bill C-36 after Bill C-20, and that was a gross violation of Canada's freedoms. Now, this bill was aimed at cracking down on online hate, just as Islamophobia and 103 promised to do. So it brought changes to section 13 of the Canadian Human Rights Act, and that was a major impediment to free speech that would allow the, um, the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal, also known as kangaroo courts, to make decisions on limits to freedom of expression based on a vague and broad definition of what it might determine to be free speech. So going back to that article that was published by the National Post in September 12th titled, Justin Trudeau Liberals Pose a Direct Threat to Freedom of Speech. When the snap election was called, as I mentioned, all those, those two bills died, but now, and this came out just yesterday, that the Liberals were picking up where it left off and pushing ahead with its own plans to overhaul Canada's internet rules and curb so-called online hate speech. So what we see here is that the Islamophobia canard is advancing fast in Canada. It's reshaping Canada's democracy. Free speech is under severe attack, more so since the July vehicle attack on a Muslim family, very tragic, that killed four members of that family. But it has been fully exploited politically and resulted in an emergency Islamophobia summit. And I'm going to pause for now because I want to turn it back over to Sam because he may have a couple of questions before we go on to talk about the recommendations that were made at that summit, 61 recommendations. Of course, I won't go through all of them. I'll give you the gist that the NCCM handed down before the summit and is demanding um, that all political parties adhere to what their demands are, according to those 61 recommendations. This is fascinating. So you mentioned the National Post article that took issue with this, this, this item. What about the rest of the Canadian right or any other part of the political spectrum? Has there been any kind of organized political opposition to this, this Islamophobia agenda? I'm very happy that you brought that up, Sam. It's important. The Canadian media as a whole, not just right wing, but all have been attacking C10, 
the, the inherent problems of Bill C-10 as well as C-36. And as I mentioned, it went through anyway, and it's coming back now since the election. But unfortunately, people have not made that connection with anti-Islamophobia motion M103. They have not connected the dots. And in my opinion, it's very clear because there is a sequence that one could follow over time. And as I go along and explain the recommendations by the NCCM, it will become much more apparent. Okay. I'll just take this moment to remind our, our listeners, because I always forget to do so at the beginning, uh, that we have a Q&A box at the bottom of your screen. So if you have questions for uh, uh, Christine later in this in this podcast, in this webinar, we will, we will get to those. Um, Christine, has there been any foreign-backed interference in this Islamophobia effort? I ask this because in previous years, these big sort of Islamophobia campaigns, whether attempts to impose legislation or just efforts to foist sort of particular standards of media and the public by Islamist groups, has often been backed by an array of Qatari or Turkish uh, 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 media efforts and political efforts to, to interfere and use Islamophobia, not just to advance Islamism, but to advance foreign state Islamist interest as well. Are we seeing that at all with, with Canada? It has not come out overtly. As you well know, the largest terrorism funding trial, the Holy Land Foundation trial in the United States, unfolded, um, exposed a whole list of Islamic organizations, is Islamists that were involved with, that were connected to funneling money to Hamas. And these were deemed unindicted co-conspirators. A lot of these same groups, like you look at Care Can, which is now the National Council of Canadian Muslims. And when they changed their name, they were clear to state that they have not changed their mandate. But if you follow what has the history of care can and how it first started it came directly from care in the united states which has been declared an unindicted co-conspirator and is connected to the muslim brotherhood it is also interesting that the muslim association of canada and it's difficult to find on the internet now however there are screenshots that are circulating of this organization openly declaring itself proudly a Muslim Brotherhood organization. So from that point of view of the connections, the global connections with the Muslim Brotherhood, I would say that yes, there are influences as to tracing the dollars and cents and understanding the extent of that kind of interference and the level of interference. The media has not been reporting on that and that would take an incredible investigation also by um, Canada's national security organizations such as RCMP and, and CSIS. And I will get into some of that later because it ties into um, the whole notion of what's going on with Revenue Canada. But I don't want to give it away yet, but that is a sneak peek of what's happening in Canada with those organizations. Okay. What, what do you think the, the consequences then of this uh, Islamophobia agenda will, will be? One thing I want to ask you in a second is about the, the Canada Revenue Agency and the, the ability of law enforcement and of Canadian government departments to, to fight back against overt Islamist exploitation of, of Canadian laws and Canadian uh, uh, democratic processes. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to mention along with that? Any other particular? Yes, Sam. And I'm going to go through some of the, a couple of the recommendations, about three of them, because it, it becomes crystal clear what is taking place in Canada. If you keep in mind M103, if you keep in mind the follow-up C10 and C36 that deals with this hate that anti-Islamophobia motion M103 talks about and this Islamophobia summit. So I want to get into that and I'll try to go through it quickly because there's a lot of information. So I'll, 
I'll try to be as brief as possible talking about it. Now, you might be asking, which is a valid question, what was it that gave rise to this um, emergency Islamophobia summit that was called by the Canadian government? Well, it, well, it followed a um, what they determined, okay? Now, this is before it even went to a court of law. They determined that 19-year-old Nathaniel Veltman on June 6th, ran over with his truck, his pickup truck, the Muslim family, which is very tragic, but they determined by popular opinion, and that was coming also from, from, the, from the political establishment, that this was a terrorist attack, which is virtually calling him a terrorist even before trial, when police had indicated that there was no connection to any known group. So this facilitated an emergency Islamophobia summit. Now we already have hate laws in Canada. We already have criminal laws and this guy will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law, I hope. But to call this a reason for an emergency Islamophobia summit. So here's what went on before. Now the national, um, the, the NCCM went into overdrive, pushing for timetables to action to implement um, at the summit, certain recommendations. Now, before delving into the contents, I wanna mention one quick point because it kind of slipped a lot of people what happened there because it was brushed under the carpet, but it's very important. A fellow by the name of Umar Zamir, he was charged with first degree murder in the death of a police officer. Now that took place less than a month after this Nathaniel Veltman ran over, the, ran over the Muslim family. And the Toronto police chief described his running down the constable Jeffrey Northrop as an intentional and deliberate act. Another female officer was involved in that ramming attack. And for some odd reason, right after the Superior Court um, in fact, right after the revelation of the name of this fellow, the Superior Court somehow imposed a complete ban on publication of details in the case. Now, one wonders why in the face of an Islamophobia conference that was coming up. So it was given really no media attention. There's no information that came out of that case at all. And it was just released this week that the same Zamir fellow was released on bail to the dismay of the Toronto Police Association, even prompting the Ontario Premier Doug Ford to say, this is beyond comprehension that our justice system needs to get us act together and start putting victims and families ahead of criminals. But when one contrasts that interesting comment, that that did not apply when you look at what Nathaniel Veltman, Veltman did. And again, he should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law, but we're seeing here a kind of two-tier system that is involved. So you'll recall also, Sam, the Danforth shooter. This fellow in 2018, Faisal Hussein, known as a Danforth shooter, he calmly walked down Danforth Avenue in Toronto's Greek town, which is very popular for restaurants and cafes. And he just opened fire, injuring 13 people and killing a 10-year-old child and an 18-year-old youth, a lady. Now he turned the gun on himself, but right after the Ontario Special Investigations Unit revealed his identity, a carefully crafted news release was sent out to select media, signed the Hussein family. It explained that our son, I'm quoting here, had severe mental health challenges, struggling with psychosis and depression his entire life, unquote. As it turns out, the Hussein family statement was provided by what was called in the Toronto Sun article, spin doctor Mohammed Hashem, described as the driving force behind the National Council of Canadian Muslims, 
according to that very article. Insiders say he framed a new narrative for Muslims in Canada, unquote. Now, Hashem is now executive director of the Canadian Race Relations Foundation, the same foundation where I served as a Privy Council, Council appointee as a director, but was fired for criticizing political Islam. It operates ironically from that same heritage department where M103 emerged from. So I was fired for so-called Islamophobic commentary. Now among the 61 recommendations, and I'll go through this very briefly, the NWCM called for the release of a federal anti-Islamophobia anti strategy by the year's end, despite 103, despite hate laws that are already in place, and despite that Valman, Veltman has not yet been processed by the Canadian courts. That was the opportunity for the NWCM to crack down on all Canadians, keeping Canadians now in a climate of being terrified as what could possibly happen among a population of 38 million that would warrant another beating down by the Islamophobia overseers working within the Trudeau government. NWCM also recommends the strategy include a clear definition of Islamophobia to be adopted across governments. Now we have three levels of course, you've got the federal, the provincial and the municipal. Plus they're asking for funding for each um, for research programs and for education campaigns to, to address Islamophobia. Again, 23 million wasn't enough. Now it's interesting that Islamophobia was actually defined with the same NWCM input by the Toronto District School Board. And this is how it was defined. Fear, prejudice, hatred, or dislike directed against Islam or Muslims or toward Islamic politics or culture. B'nai B'rith made an upheaval over that and they had to scale back, but we really do not know where that stands right now. A serious concern also arose at the summit. And um, I, I, I'm gonna give it to you here now because it does concern Revenue Canada, Sam. Okay, so tell me about Revenue. I mean, we'll get to questions very shortly, but okay. tell me about Canada Revenue Agency. Um, have they been effective in the past? Are they still being effective? And how has the Islamophobia debate affected uh, their, their operations? Very good questions because the end because they um they were highly effective in the past from what we could see. I mean there are there are often complaints about Revenue Canada and sometimes it's a little bit too aggressive. But here's what happened specifically in terms of um, the Islamophobia summit. That concern arose. The NWCM and Trudeau targeted Revenue Canada under accusations that Muslim charities were being centered out. Now, this could possibly be used to exonerate Islamist charities and provide a clear way to continue funneling um, monies to terrorist entities. For example, the Muslim Association of Canada, one of the largest Muslim organizations in the country with chapters um, basically in, most, in every province, they were publicly accused in 2015 of funneling money to Urfan Canada. The Muslim Association of Canada, as I said, is a self-declared Muslim Brotherhood group. And um, in 2018, we saw the Islamic Society of North America. They were found connected to, his, to Hezbollah Mujahideen in Kashmir region. Canada Revenue Agency suspended ISNA and fined it over half a million dollars over concerns that it provided resources to this armed jihadist group. Now, Revenue Canada has stated under attack that it does not single out anyone or any particular group based on any identity, based on any religion. 
But now Revenue Canada is being targeted and being watched for Islamophobia. At that same summit, Canada's revenue minister agreed to ask the taxpayer's ombudsperson for a systemic review of concerns that Muslim charities are being targeted. So in essence, Revenue Canada is being pressured to ease up on Islamic organizations. So returning to those um, the recommendations which weighs in here, it's demanding that the federal government take action against that Bill 21. And in fact, I'm gonna turn it over to you here because I'm gonna go back to that and I don't wanna return without the conversation that we have in between Sam. It's very important um, that I stop now so that um, people do understand what is taking place in Revenue Canada and what that could allow going into the future. Okay, well, Hayden Fink, one of our, our listeners asks, where exactly does Trudeau himself personally stand on these, these issues? So has he, you, you mentioned him at least a few times, has, has, is he personally a force behind these efforts to impose these agendas on, on federal departments that may benefit Islamists? He has worked hand in hand with these organizations like the NWCM, like the Muslim Association of Canada, and he's right up there in the Islamophobia um, summit saying that agreeing that revenue that we have to as a government referring to him, we have to start looking at Islamophobia in this country and how Muslims are being targeted by Revenue Canada, as well as national security agencies like the RCMP and like um, CSIS. So he is hand in hand. And to go back again, for the person that asked this question, let's not forget the $23 million that came down through the government of Canada, and that some of that money is going to the NWCM and to IRFAN to establish across the board, this um, aggressive Islamophobia subterfuge and, and, and monitor citizens for compliance and teach law enforcement to um, recognize online and offline hate. Okay, well, we've had a, a couple of questions on, on the uh, role of, of the Muslim community more generally. So I suppose uh, trying to uh, draw a single question from, from a mix of things here. Are there forces within Canadian Muslim communities who don't buy into this Islamophobia agenda, who are pushing back against it, who are concerned by the fact that they can now no longer rely on federal departments to go after the jihadists in their midst? Is, is this a, a conversation that anyone's having within uh, Canadian Islam? They're isolated voices, Sam, and this is very important. And some of those have been identified in my book, The Challenge of Modernizing Islam, who can see exactly what's taking place um, in Canada, and they have concerns that this is indeed a subterfuge being used against the Canadian people to start cracking down on free speech and, and, and putting these, the, the agendas of these kinds of groups who are, who are actually acting at every level, not just in government, but also in the school system. So there have been voices here and there, but in terms of um, groups, no, no. We haven't had any outcry by Muslim communities. They are, from what we've heard, from what is being reported in the media, these, there is a, a unity about Islamophobia when it comes to exactly what the, the National Council of Canadian Muslims and the federal government is, is, is speaking about. And of course, we, we both know that, that, that Islamist groups 
are, are, do not represent, or at least do not have complete control over Western Muslim communities. There are lots of different Islamist groups. There are also lots of, of non-Islamist uh, Muslim organizations as well. But as you point out, a lot of Muslims have bought into this, this idea, especially in the West, that Islamophobia is a crisis and that we can rely on Muslim Brotherhood-run groups to help us through this crisis and protect us. Why is that? Why have, why have so many Muslims in the West bought into this idea, even if ultimately, from our perspective, it seems to be very much against the interests of someone who wants to live in a, in a free democratic state where their religion can be practiced freely and openly. So why, have they, why are they buying into the theocratic argument here? Um, I have my own theory about, theory about that. I think from what I'm hearing as well, I, I believe that a lot of Muslims that do come to the country they they come with with a, a kind of relief, um, escaping systems of oppression that they that they once lived under. But like any group, anywhere there is going to be um, culture shock. There is um, a language barrier, and what what people usually do from various cultures, and we see it a lot in Canada. We see it in the Chinese community. We see it in the Italian community. There's no specific community. People tend to seek out the communities that they are comfortable with. So what happens is we have Muslims coming from various countries and, and, and they seek out something familiar. So they start going to the mosques. And as we know from investigation in the States and from what is being, um, what has been discussed in Canada among, among um, security types, national security types is that we have the same problem here, that these are foreign funded mosques. And the same problem they have in the States where they're being taught um, supremacism is the same thing that's circulating in the mosques. And we do have reports here and there of, of hatred being preached uh, and I'm talking in every province from various mosques, from various imams that talk about the West, that talk about hatred of the West, that how the West is out to get you, they're out to oppress the, 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 the Ummah, it's colonialism. You know, the, the familiar rhetoric that we hear going around, the mosques and the, and, and the Islamic schools are, are perfect places that are not monitored for this kind of um, brainwashing of people that are coming to continue that kind of a thinking um, that they have seen um, under Sharia law. And in some ways, it, it, it's the best possible um, thing that could happen for some because they're not living under oppression while at the same time, they're, they're getting sort of a, a dose of the Sharia that teaches that you're, you're supreme, basically. You're, you're, you know, Allah's the only God and above all else. So, so they come here, they go to these mosques and I had a conversation with um, a Muslim academic living in Montreal and she said she tried going to a mosque and then she was harangued over having her friend show under the under the um, the covering and she left and of those that I've interviewed in my book and others that have concerns none of them go to mosques and they don't go because they're very concerned about the messages coming from mosques. I see. So um, Mindy Stein and a few others just want to know a little bit more about NCCM. So what exactly uh, is it and uh, uh, what is its ideological affiliation? I think you mentioned the Muslim Brotherhood on a number of occasions. The National Council of Canadian Muslims is renamed from Care Can. If you look at the roots of care, it was deemed connected to the Muslim Brotherhood and found funneling money to Hamas th through this, um, the Holy Land Foundation trial. If you follow CARE 
And you could look up information on the internet or even what the Middle East Forum um, gives out on, on CARE's history. CARE CAN is a, an offshoot organization from CARE. So they share something very similar to care. And just to give you a recent example, when it comes to, they say they care about anti-Semitism, but yet when, when we had um, protests across Canada, I'm talking tens of thousands of people during Operation Guardian of the Walls in May, the NWCN came up with the petition that our government should be intervening somehow, however it can, to help out and, and stop the invasion or the attacks on Al-Aqsa Mosque. So right there, we could see some very questionable um, information that's coming from the NWCM, from free speech to, to its alignments when it comes to the Palestinian agenda against Israel and, and others in between and the attack on Canada's free speech. I see. Brian Cox and a number of other uh, uh, listeners um, ask about the Islamophobia agenda being part of a broader offensive by, by, by Islamists. And I suppose that then, and I perhaps what some are getting at here is, is this just one step in a larger series of political infiltrations by Islamists? In other words, I suppose, uh, what is the status of Islamism in Canadian politics? Are there other examples that come to mind, particularly of Islamist individuals worming their way into the upper echelons of Canadian politics and Islamist organizations, getting into bed with government and so on. Uh, what, do you, what do you say to that? As I explained before, we have a highly organized system here, the Muslim Association of Canada, one of the largest, the NWCM another, and they're working hand in hand with the Canadian government. And you might ask what's going on with the Conservative Government of Canada while well, they rejected M103, but now under its new leader that took over from Andrew Scheer, um, he's becoming a bit intimidated because he's being confronted with these recommendations handed down by the NWCM. And in answer to whether it's part of a larger organization, it certainly is a certain, um, an international effort. It's coming from the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. When you look at Sharia law, it is, it is deemed to be blasphemy, to be offensive to Islam. We see this phenomena of Islamophobia in virtually all virtually, not every single one, some have rejected this. If you look at it though in Britain, you look at it in the United States, you look in Canada, major um, states in, in the EU, this Islamophobia subterfuge is something that has taken root. In fact, the OIC along with the United Nations has been working hand in hand to establish Islamophobia globally. So it is definitely part of a larger network in terms of countries, that are, that are um, under, that are honoring of the Sharia, and in terms of, of course, the, the lesser, the organizations that also adhere to it, like the Muslim Brotherhood, and like the other Islamist organizations internationally. Okay, fascinating. Um, we're almost at the end of our time. I'm going to just uh, slot in one very quick last question. Uh, we've been discussing Sunni Islamists for the most part. What about the Shiites? What about uh, the influence of Iran, of Hezbollah? Is this an issue in Canada or are you firmly focused here on the Sunni groups? Now, Iran is a problem in Canada. You may remember that the, um, the Iranian embassy was shut down in 2012 because it was operating a fifth column in the country and that was um, uncovered 
by the cultural officer working from the embassy. It was uncovered by an interpreter who talked about what the designs were. It was to infiltrate, establish a fifth column, and then move on to attacking the United States. We also have a presence of Hezbollah in this country and um, specifically Unit 910, which is a um, Hezbollah's elite um, clandestine unit that that is it's it's far-reaching unit, the blocks ops of Hezbollah, it's called to work across the board. Canada has a unit, and that also came out in a trial where um, one of the operatives was discovered and talked about other operatives that are existing, especially in Canada, which is more active. And in terms of um, the Iranian poll in Canada, we have an MP. Um, Majid Johari. He has been watched. The Iranian dissidents are horrified by him because he has been promoting dialogue with Iran. And a report came out, and this came out from an Iranian news agency, Tasmin, that this man was an operative of the Iranian um, government. And the dissidents were saying he should not be in Canada. But lo and behold, in the last election, Trudeau actually campaigned along with him. And lo and behold, again, he ended up recapturing his seat. So we do see issues that arise um, with Iran. There's, um, Canada has actually done business with Iran and it's been it's it's been quite um, disconcerting because in 2016 Montreal mayor and this is very important Denis Coderre he quietly traveled to Iran where he signed a groundbreaking agreement with that regime to boost mutual cooperation in various fields so we do see this covert influence with Iran and with the investigation with flight 752, that was another one. The, the family members of that crash were disappointed because Trudeau made promises to hold Iran accountable. And on an Ontario level, a court found that it was a terrorist willful act. Trudeau promised to go after them and to hold them into, into accountability. And out of the blue, two months ago, he made an about face. So now the family is looking at means to maybe take it to, um, um, to local court, but they're trying to look for methods to hold this government accountable because Trudeau made warm promises to the family. We understand, we are sorry about your loved ones on that flight. We will do something. And they made an about face and said, nope, we have determined this was not an act as determined by the Ontario court and we will no longer proceed. So that is now um, a situation that is being pursued by the family of the victims who were of course overwhelmingly, and I think that is widely known by Canadians, they were nearly half um, represented on that crashed flight. Gosh, uh, we're out of time. Uh, to my great regret, we have so many more questions we didn't get to. Uh, we must blame, of course, Christine for being so knowledgeable and insightful that uh, we will have to ask these questions on another occasion. Thank you so much for your for your, for your you, time. Um, for everyone else, uh, if you haven't signed up to uh, our mailing list, go to any forum at all. Uh, I particularly recommend the Islamist Watch mailing list, which is by far, at least in my opinion, the most fascinating. Um, have a good weekend and please join us in the future for uh, additional Middle East forum webinars and podcasts. Thank you. Thank you, Sam.